It's good to come into the house of the Lord anytime, every time, all the time, and know that the presence of the Lord is always here. I'm seated today, and I'll let you figure out why. I told the church before, it just might be because I'm a cool pastor, and I need to just sit down and have a conversation today. Or it could be because the message is going to be long. I can't stand <laughs> I hope that's not the case. Uh, the truth is, I suffered a little back injury, and so... Uh, I'm waiting for my healing, waiting for my healing to be complete. We're talking today about when God told the angel to tell Zechariah to name the baby John. If you look back two weeks ago uh, on our videos, you'll see that message and you can hear the whole thing. But let's begin reading where the Lord appears, the angel appears to uh, Zechariah. And this is what he said to him. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah. Underline this part. For thy prayer is heard. Everybody say, I like it when my prayers are heard. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, underline this part, and shall call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Now there's a verse in Psalms 105, verses 7 and 8, that I want to use to emphasize the thought I'm bringing across today. And here's what it says. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He has remembered his covenant forever. Now look at this. The word which he commands shall be to a thousand generations. Now, a generation is thought to be about 25 years. About how long it takes one generation to move into being adults. So if the Lord's word is good for 25, for a thousand generations, that would mean that God keeps his word for 25,000 years. I don't think you can live that long. Now, when God wanted to bring about his purpose and his plan, Zechariah was a priest. And if you go back and listen to last week, you'll find that he was of the course of Abia, and we explained what that means. Every priest was in a certain group, and each group was allowed to come into the altar, the place of incense, only once a year in their turn. And there were probably 25 or 30 priests in each group. So not every priest got to offer incense, not even every year. So the verse says before this that it was his turn, it was his lot, Zechariah's time, to come into the holy place and offer incense upon the altar. Now in the time of the Jews, which this was, the priesthood was, was vast, a lot of priests. But once a day they offered the incense, and those priests came in, and they had this incense, and they went behind the closed curtain. 
And they came to the altar, the covenant. And there on the right side of that altar, they offered incense unto the Lord, which was a sweet-smelling odor that went up before the Lord, and God was pleased, and it was like their prayer going up before God. So Zechariah was all excited about having his turn to come in. But Zechariah carried a burden. And the burden was that he and his wife Elizabeth had never born a child. Never, not one time. And they had prayed, 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 prayed for the child. And they'd finally given up praying. And had become too old to have children. And now he comes in his turn to offer the incense. Having given up on the prayer to have a child. Have you ever prayed for something so long that you just gave up on it? And you said, God's never gonna answer this prayer. I'll just put that one on hold, chalk it up to heaven. Maybe he'll tell me in the eternity why he didn't answer my prayer. Excuse me. That was the case with uh, Zachariah. He wasn't thinking about a baby anymore. He wasn't thinking about being a father. He'd given up on his hope and on his dream. What he didn't know was that God doesn't give up on prayers just because you stop praying. I want you guys to get that. I'm having a pretty good time sitting down here just talking to you guys today. God does not forget your prayers just because you stop praying. And every prayer you ever pray is remembered in heaven. And in the book of the Revelation, there's a place where the angel comes and he pours out a vial, a golden bowl that is filled with all the prayers of the saints. And he pours it out as a sacrifice unto the Lord. God remembering once and for all and forever, even after we're in heaven, he remembers every prayer that you've prayed. Don't stop praying don't stop believing because God will not give up on you even if you give up on God. God is a God of covenant. That's the first thing I want you to know. God keeps his covenant. Now the mistake a lot of us make is just hearing something that somebody said or something in a song or picking out a promise book or something like that and we think God said something that God didn't say. Or maybe God said something in the Old Testament that doesn't apply to you in the New Testament. That letter wasn't addressed to you. But the covenants that God makes with us are forever and ever. Keeps his covenant for a thousand generations. His word is not guaranteed by our performance. His word is guaranteed by himself. When I was a kid... I grew up a little faster than I should, perhaps. I had my first car and my driver's license when I was 14 years old. And it was just a car that my dad helped me buy out of a junkyard, and I fixed it up. And I drove around. I was so cool. And, and, um, and then I got, got another car, and then I wanted to buy another car. And I didn't have the money, but I had a pretty good job. So I went down to the car place. Guy says, yeah, you can have this car. All you got to do is get your dad to co-sign. Well, that's going to be a challenge. <laughs> because it was a 1959 Impala 450, I think it's a 454, convertible black with a red top. That was way cool. Dad said, no. Come on, Dad. No, you don't need a car like that. 
Something will break down. You'll get a ticket. He was right about all those things. He wouldn't sign. I didn't get the car. Sometimes we need a co-signer. But God, <laughs> when, you, when you buy a house, when you buy something of notable, a, a loan that you incur, you have to have a notary public to sign, to stamp, to guarantee your signature. So the scripture says in Hebrews 6, when God made his promise to Abraham, he looked for someone to certify that covenant. But he could find no one greater than himself who would swear by him. So he swore his oath by his own name. He said, I'm God, I don't need a cosigner. And he has kept his word. Now get all of that, it's coming down pretty fast here. God also uses types and symbols to demonstrate his word or his will to us. Here's an example. In the Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, God told Moses when they needed water, he said, take your rod. For those of you that don't know, the rod was just a stick. He carried a walking stick. He said, take your walking stick and strike that rock and you will have water. And he did, and the water flowed enough to, to take care of all of the needs of the people. Well, that was cool. And so they travel through the wilderness and the next thing you know, they got, they got thirsty again in another place. And God told him, he said, okay, Moses, this time I want you to speak to the rock. Well, Moses was a little angry. He was a little frustrated that day. He went out to the rock, he took his walking stick and he just gave it a good whack. And the water came. But God spoke to Moses and said, because you've disobeyed me. Seems like a simple thing, doesn't it? But he said, because you disobeyed me, you will not enter the promised land. So when they came to the Jordan, ready to go into the promised land, God took Moses up into the mountain. Now is the last we hear of Moses. Well, not the last, but the last we hear of him that time. And Joshua took over his leadership. Here's the question I ask as a kid. Why was it such a big deal for him to... Strike the rock again instead of speaking to it. What does that matter? Here's the answer, friends. God uses types and symbols to demonstrate his word. And he was going to show us that Christ, Jesus, is the rock. Once smitten, but only once. And then only we have to do is speak to him and grace flows freely. We don't have to do any more sacrifices. We don't have to beat anything or hit anything or cry out or do any kind of those rituals that we have to do. Nothing like that because the, the Christ was the rock that was smitten once upon the cross and then he was raised from the dead and no more do we have to put up with any of that ritualistic stuff. God says, don't strike my rock again. Isn't that cool? I'll lay a foundation for you here. God is a God of detail and perfection. The Ark of the Covenant was in detail. The building of the tabernacle and of the temple was detail. Everything God does is detail, 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 and there's a reason for it. And you study the Old Testament, you'll find that God is laying a pattern. He's putting forth a template. He's drawing a plan so that he can bring his son into the world to save the world from their sin. So, why was this baby named John? 
Now, if you know anything about John the Baptist, who was the, the boy that was born, you know that he was a great man. Jesus said, of all the men, of all the men that have ever been born on the world, there is none greater than John the Baptist. He lived in the wilderness, he wore camel's hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey. That was John. How'd y'all like to be a prophet like that? Anybody ever eaten honey, wild honey? That's pretty good. But how about locusts? I can imagine John, oh man, those locusts are pretty crunchy, man. They, they're great. Get up in the morning, there's one. Crunch that thing down, a little bit of wild honey. That was John. That he'll be great. He began preaching in the wilderness. Nobody was there. But somebody heard him and somebody else came. Somebody else, somebody else. And people flocked out into the wilderness. And John baptized them in the water. Not the same baptism that we have. We're baptized in salvation. But he baptized them unto repentance. So it was God's way as people were baptized unto repentance of satisfying the demands of the law that for centuries, for generations, they had not obeyed. And so John's purpose was to bring the people into a place of readiness to receive the Christ. That's what he did. So the angel told Mary to name her baby Jesus. And Jesus is Yeshua, Emmanuel, God with us. And he would sit upon the throne of David. <coughs> I don't know, 2 Samuel 7, God makes a promise to David. And here's what he says. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. The throne of David. Now, if you don't know anything about Jewish history, you do know this. In every temple... And most people who are Jewish, they wear the Star of David. We wear the cross, they wear the Star of David. You go out to the cemeteries where the veterans are buried, you'll see some of the cross, you'll see those who are Jewish have the Star of David. Because David is the king that will, Christ will fulfill the promise. So what God said to David, he said, there will not fail me to sit upon the throne of David a man after your lineage. And so that happened. There was not ever a king except the king that after the lineage of David until the end of Israel. So the promise is that when Christ comes back, when Jesus comes back, he will sit on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem and rule for a thousand years of peace. Promise. God. And that's what the Jewish people are still awaiting because, you see, they didn't get it that Christ was their Messiah. So he's on the throne of David. It's good, right? Throne of David. But there's a problem here. There, there, there's a little housekeeping to do. Because the heir to the throne of Israel was not David. The first king of Israel was Saul. Now, he wasn't a very good king, but he was the king. Get this point. You can put Saul down. You can talk about his bad attitude, his disobedience, his bad leadership. And the fact that he died of his own sword. But you've got to always remember he was still the king. And he did everything that he could to kill David. 
And yet David would not kill him. He found him in a compromising position more than once. And David said to God, I will not touch the anointed man of God. David could have killed Saul, became king a lot sooner. He didn't have to chase him or be chased around out there through the wilderness. But David would not lay a hand upon Saul. And in fact, David would have died for Saul. He was his father-in-law. He was married to Michael, his daughter. He played for him and soothed his spirit. He loved Saul. And the problem God had in order to anoint David as the king, he's got to do something about Saul. And so he, Saul would die in battle. And Saul had a son that would have been the king after Saul. And his name was Jonathan. And David and Jonathan were like brothers the Bible said there was a love between them like brothers. And when Saul finally declared or said he was going to kill David for sure, because Saul was afraid of David taking over, he never would have. But Jonathan preserved the life of David. Now, in order for Jonathan to be king, all he would have had to do was nothing and Saul would have killed David. And on the day that David, that, that David died, on the day that Saul died, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the king of Israel. Some of you guys don't, I mean, you never thought about that. Oh, David's the king, anointed by Samuel as a little boy. Yeah, that's what we preach. But we've missed this little detail that Jonathan was the heir. Jonathan was the heir. And he was killed at the same time his father was, but not before he saved the life of David and stepped down so that David could rise up. You're beginning to get a little picture of where I'm going here with this. He left an unfulfilled legacy in an unfulfilled covenant. Now David knew this when he was king. He knew that the legacy of Saul was still intact. <clears throat> so he asked, are there any descendants of Saul? And there was only one. And his name was, anybody know? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. You've heard me preach on him before. Mephibosheth. Oh, Mephibosheth. And he was... Wounded as a little boy, he was dropped by his caretaker when they were running to escape the enemy. And he was lame on both feet. He couldn't walk. And David sought him out. Now Mephibosheth thought, oh no, I've lived all this time. I know that my father, Jonathan, was heir to the throne of my grandfather, Saul. He said, I don't want to be king. Just leave me alone. Don't kill me. What can I do? I'm lame. But David sought him out. And when they came and said, is Mephibosheth here? Yeah, he's here. And they took Mephibosheth. He didn't know what was going to happen. And when he came into the king's presence, David, he said, I want you to sit at my table as a prince of Israel for the rest of your life. He bestowed honor upon the son of Jonathan. Now, David is about, God is about to open a brand new chapter when John the Baptist is born. He wants things to be right. 
He's got to correct the details. He's got to make sure that all the promises are kept. And so a son of David and a son of God will come to save the people from their sin and bestow a fountain of grace in place of the old law and the prophets. But there had to be a forerunner, the one that would come in the spirit of Elijah. And so the forerunner is spoken of by the angel, John, by the angel Gabriel to Zacharias, Zacchaeus at the temple of incense. And he says this, standing in that, in that place of incense at the right hand of the altar, he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, you're going to have a baby. Your Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. Can you imagine him trying to tell her when he got home? He said, his name is going to be John and he's going to be great. He's going to save his people from their sin. And Zacchaeus, I mean, Zachariah goes, oh, how can this be? I don't understand. What are you trying to tell me? That, that can't work. You know, we're too old. And the angel looks at him and says, I am Gabriel. And when Gabriel speaks, it's a good idea to listen. I'm Gabriel. What are you doing contesting my word? I am Gabriel. He said, I, have, I stand in the presence of God. I'm not one of them little angels that just flies around here doing this and that. He said, I'm not a sissy little angel, not a little, little baby angel. He said, I am Gabriel standing in the presence of God, and I have come with a message for you, for you. I say this to my preacher buddies. If you don't have a message for the church, Stay home. Don't come in with something that you just, you know, heard somebody else say. Don't be like Polly Parrot up there saying, I want a cracker, like you heard somebody else say. Don't preach what you heard on TV. Don't preach what you heard on Facebook. Come in with a message. Come in with a revelation from God. Come in so, so that you don't have to beg people to come to church if you've got a word for them when they get there. They'll go out of there saying, I gotta find a friend. I gotta find a buddy to come and listen to what the Lord is saying to us. Everybody wants to hear from God. So the angel said to Zechariah, I've come from God. Don't question my word. So he said, you'll not speak again. You'll not speak again until the baby's born. Now, that presents another problem I talked to you about last week. What's he going to, how is he going to communicate this to Elizabeth? They're probably 80 years old. He goes home. Can't speak. Think he must have dropped by Walgreens and picked up some flowers and a card. <laughs> Elizabeth, maybe I'll take you out to dinner. Elizabeth, you're not going to believe this. He tells her what the angel said. Oh, wrote it out. And the baby's name is John. Even when the baby was born, all the friends gathered around. What's his name? What's his name? Zachariah wrote it out. Baby's name is John. 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 And everybody's going, why? Name him Zach. Name him anything. There's nobody in your family named John. Why did he name the baby John? Here's why. As Jonathan made the way for David, so would this man, John the Baptist, make the way for Jesus. So the name, name him after the man that gave up the throne. 
Name him after the man that was willing to let the anointed one rise up higher than himself. Name him after Jonathan, the man that was humble enough to bow down before David the king. As John, John the Baptist came upon the scene, all of the, the disciples were following John the Baptist. He had hundreds, maybe thousands of peoples out there that he was baptizing. And when Jesus came, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he said, I must decrease that he may increase. And he said, he, He's great. And he said, I'm not even worthy to lace up his shoes. John the Baptist gave up his place and position as John, Jonathan, the son of Saul, gave up the throne that David might reign. Now you didn't read that in a commentary. I looked it up. It's not even in Jimmy Swaggart's Bible. I called three theologians. They didn't know why. Why did that baby have to be named John? It just aggravated me. It, it just kept me awake. I just prayed and the Lord said, all you got to do is just go back and look at the, the lineage of the kings and remember that I keep my word to a thousand generations and remember that when, when you stop praying, I don't forget your prayers. And remember that I'm a God of detail. So if I tell you to do something, do it exactly like I say do it and you will be blessed because he said I'm a God who never forgets and keeps my word to a thousand generations. He's a God who cares about you. He knows your prayers. You may just think that God doesn't even hear you and sometimes you might be glad he didn't. But he does. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you need. And he knows how to move details around in your life in order to bring you to a place where you can see victory in your life. I'm praying for you today that that victory will come. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the details. Thank you, Lord, for your promises that you keep to us for a thousand generations. Thank you, Lord, that just because we give up on you doesn't mean you give up on us. And I pray today, Lord, that everyone that's listening or watching a video or seated in this congregation today will know that, can confirm in their heart, Lord, I'm never going to stop believing in you. I'm going to keep on praying and keep on believing till I see with my eyes what I believe in my heart. I thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on our live stream today. I'm Pastor Darrell Owens at Calvary Church in Buena Park, California. And the slide is up so that you can see how to uh, communicate with us if you'd like. If you'd like to send an offering, send your tithe, whatever you have to share, please do that. And we will be praying for you and hope to see you next Sunday at 11 o'clock here at Calvary Church Live on Facebook. God